Boom! We are live, ladies and gentlemen. It's your boy, Nolan Hawkeye Anthony, here with my partner in crime, Mr. Paul Monahan, who had a fantastic piece over the weekend, which we're going to get to. We have the Iowa Hawkeyes in the initial top 25 247 rankings, which I believe they have been for the past three years, but so hasn't Iowa State, weirdly. Well, actually, not weirdly. Technically, the last time uh, they got it right, so they're one for three there. Uh, also, on top of that, just want to remind you all that we have uh, Chuck Yagla is going to be on. That is a huge interview. And uh, if you guys have any questions that you would like me to ask, I will absolutely do it. Uh, it, you know, we're going to get into training. We're going to talk about the upcoming Iowa wrestling season, and we're going to dive in deep a, a little bit to his time with Dan Gable and stuff like that, because people like hearing stories like that. Uh, so let me get the plug in. Let, uh, first and foremost, go to 247hawkeye.com uh, and also smash that follow button on Parlor and Twitter at 247Hawkeye and Instagram at 247Hawkeye.com page. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, I know the Google overlords, and, you know, it's funny, the, the tyranny. Anyways, but the, I know that you can't download Parlor right now, but uh, you should be able to do so soon. So, you know, if, if you want to get on Parlor, don't worry about that. Here at 247, we don't discriminate. We appreciate. Uh, how you doing, Paul? What's going on, buddy? Oh, nothing much, man. Man, I got to tell you how excited I am about uh, about that interview coming up with Chuck. <laughs> yeah, dude, it's gonna be it's gonna be huge, and uh, I'm I'm very grateful, very excited. Uh, he seems like a very. I talked to him for about an hour, and he seems very down to earth guy. You know, the funny thing is. You just talking to him just because of how, you know, like sweet and nice he is. Uh, you would not expect him to be a two-time NCAA wrestling national champion. But, you know, uh, that's the way it is sometimes, you know. It does, just because you're a champion doesn't mean you can't be nice. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's uh, – you only got to be mean for six minutes. Right, And right. probably less if you're, if you're a two-time national champion. I'm guessing he uh, – uh, not too many guys went went six minutes with him. Yeah, what what are uh, for you, Paul? What are you curious about him? Like, like, what are you most interested in the the Iowa season? His take on that? Because I watched a YouTube video where they said uh, the guy said that Nebraska was, and I so I immediately found out that the guy was a Nebraska fan, but he had like a studio and everything, and he got a, a good amount of views. And he said that Nebraska was one of Iowa's top competitors, and I don't know if that's true. Uh, they're not; they're not; they're barely ranked in the top five. So I don't know. But anyways, what are you interested in this season for Iowa? Uh, uh, you know, stories about him, training. For me personally, I'm interested in training and asking questions like that. Yeah, definitely that. Um, I'd be curious to know, like. Um, what his most fond memories of, of, you know, his time wrestling are. Yeah. Um, and, you know, from a, a big picture perspective on the sport itself, um, you know, why, you know, it, 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 it's still a growing sport, but 
Um, you know, just in general, like, like, why is it so much of a niche sport? Um, why, why hasn't it really caught on more? I mean, because it's it, it seems to be a, a a big sport globally. You know, I know Iran, uh, it, it's big there. Russia, it's big. Yeah. Um, and here, it's 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 more niche. You know, um, and what what can be done to grow the sport? And uh, you know, having having you know a guy like Dan Gable get the uh, National Medal of Freedom. Uh, that certainly, you know, helps put it out there a little bit. Of but, course, um, yeah, great point. Uh, uh, you know, but what, 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 you know, what can be done to grow the sport? Are there certain rules or things that that maybe um, could be changed or altered a little bit that that could even make the sport more exciting? Oh man, I that's an absolutely fabulous uh, question. You know. For me, uh, the, the best answer I can give, at least just for California growing up, you know, it's kind of the same thing as flag football. You know, you have kids uh, that have, you know, just um, uh, not a, stubborn would be the wrong word, but just uh, just a just a kind of a ridiculous mindset. They think it's, you know, weird to touch another Got, you know, guy with, in tight pants and stuff. And so they, may, you know, they may, uh, make fun of that stuff. And, and you know what, listen, I, I understand that a little bit, but at the same time, you know, wrestling, you know, when you make fun of that, but then wrestling, those guys are the toughest SOBs that, you know, you know, it just, it doesn't really hold water. So, and then also football and basketball and even soccer for that matter, are, are big over here, but I would say wrestling is still pretty big in California. It, how, how does it do in Florida, Paul? You know, we've got some schools where it's a, a real big deal. I mean, a huge deal. Um, but for the most part and, and most of the public schools and things like that, um, it's, it's definitely not, but, um, but in some cases it, it, it in, you know, uh, like I said, some counties, it's a big deal. Clay County. Um, yeah. Uh, down in South Florida, it's kind of a, a bigger thing. Tampa has some has some really strong programs, but um, you know, man, Tampa is growing into a sports hub. Man, wow. Yeah, well, and, and you know what? They have some specialized schools. Um, uh, you know, it's it's not really the public school system down there. It's uh, the IMG Academy and things yes. like that. So it's by the way, ladies and gentlemen, we will talk about that soon. Not today. Uh, me and Paul eventually will get into the specialized schools. Uh, and, you know, I'm just being honest, ladies and gentlemen, for me, as someone who grew up playing basketball uh, and then water polo, so two totally different sports in popularity, I think the United States absolutely needs more IMG academies as far as soccer, basketball the whole nine yards to get these kids into a great school system and then they can just play sports year round and just dominate i love that they already do it in europe i don't understand why we don't do it in the united states i haven't understood why we don't do it here in the united states but that's another conversation for another day so yeah paul this is it's going to be a great uh, conversation with him that 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 was a great uh, question and I'm gonna bring that up it actually has brought up a few more questions you know why uh, programs uh, don't you know why schools don't 
model IMG and, and start doing that? Why don't kids uh, go to these specialized schools or something like that? You know, because if I was really, really good at wrestling, I would think about going to Europe and just go, you know, start to compete over there. I don't know. You know, that's just something to think of. Maybe that's too, maybe that's too, I don't know, big picture. Maybe that's too uh serious i don't know but uh it, it it does seem like we have a problem here in the united states especially with this pandemic shutdown i mean it's shut down aau sports it's shut down high school sports it's shut down i mean it, just no good so that's really a huge question for another day but paul you, you're gonna lead the show you're gonna lead the road on this buddy um, after Iowa's dominating win over number 16, Minnesota. And then we have other great stuff to, to dive into the ranked Iowa Hawkeye football team. And then, you know, whatever Paul wants to get into, ladies and gentlemen. Absolutely. So, yeah, I, I definitely want to talk about yesterday's game uh, against Minnesota. So um, the Hawkeyes avenged their only Big Ten loss of the year. Uh you know, it was an overtime defeat uh, up in Minneapolis um, yesterday. Uh, they they made sure that, that uh, history didn't repeat itself. Even though Minnesota, you know, did they did get it down to seven with about two yeah. and a half minutes left. Um, the uh, you know, Iowa absolutely uh, closed the door on that uh, there late in the game. Um, what were your thoughts? You know, my general thoughts are just. Um, just very, very broad stroke here. Number one, Iowa's defense has been much improved. Uh, you know, their three-point defense uh, has been improved. When you look at the advanced stats, their three-point shooting was killing them, Paul. I mean, it was absolutely killing them. They were 10th in the Big Ten at giving up threes. And, it, you know, the bottom line is, Three-point defense is is really easy. You just, you know, you ever heard the, you know, hand down or, uh, yeah, hand down, man down, which means if you don't have your hand up, you're going to get a three, you know, splashed in your face. You know, that's just how it's going to go. And um, so the three-point defense has been better. Uh, the second thing is, weirdly, Iowa seemed to be dominating that game, but you're right. They were all, you know, at some point in time, the game got within seven and it, you know, it, it, even though it seemed like it was so much that Iowa was up by Minnesota was in striking distance. And in my opinion, a lot of it has to do with Iowa, the way that they play basketball, you, they will never be out of games. But because of the shots that they take sometimes, they sometimes struggle to bury teams. You know, they do. They sometimes struggle to put a team in their back pocket and just ride that win all the way home, which they could have done with about eight minutes to go. Just dump it down low to a big guy. Just get easy mid-range shots, you know, things like that. But they didn't do that. They allowed Minnesota to stay in the game. And the last thing, uh, you know, is – you know, Iowa picks up a quadrant one victory, which is huge. Uh, so either way, uh, it is massive. What about you, buddy? Yeah. So, you know, the things that stood out to me, um, one was uh, Marcus Carr from Minnesota. 
you know, he, he absolutely went off in the first game. Um, he was, he was almost invisible this game. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when you take away a team star player and, uh, then, you know, the other thing was Luca got going early and often. Um, yeah. And, uh, 27, uh, team assists in yesterday's game. Uh, so that was big. I'm going to come back to those 27 assists here, uh, in a minute, but, um, so I was passing the ball. Well, um, guys were getting good looks, looks were falling. M- meanwhile, on the defensive end, um, you know, Minnesota at times, you know, they didn't have a, a ton of open looks. The open looks they had didn't seem to fall. Um, they just, or, you know, early on in the game, it, it, you know, the teams were going back and forth, back and forth, but you know what? I also didn't, you know, have to claw back from an eight or 10 point deficit early. I thought they came out with good energy. They matched Minnesota's energy early in the game, which is something that Agreed. you you've hit on um, mm-hmm. the last few games is, is, you know, not coming out of the, not coming out ready to play. I thought Iowa did that yesterday. Yeah. Listen, man, I absolutely agree with that. Um, uh, you know, the other thing that's crazy is to think about is this gopher team you know, is leg- they're legitimately ranked 16th in the country, and they they legitimately beat Iowa uh, when they played. You know, now you know again the seven point lead thing. Should Iowa have was that a 99 percent chance of winning? Absolutely, but you know Minnesota that game, you know, really had its own. You know, held on for its own for most of the game. I would say 75 percent of the game it was Minnesota's. And then this game, Iowa just absolutely looked like the big boys. I mean, they just looked far superior. It was crazy. I mean, it was night and day, Paul, night and day. It was. And you know what? I, I definitely liked how, um, you know, obviously everything ran through through Luca Garza. The ball gets into his hands and good things always seem to happen. Um, but you know what? When, Especially when it came down to crunch time there at the end, uh, uh, Wees camp hits a big three that, uh, you know, puts Iowa back up by 10. Uh, you know, it was kind of a dagger with about a minute left. And then uh, Bohannon absolutely, you know, uh, with Carr right in his face, he steps back behind the three point line and, yeah. and, and just buries one right in front of him and, and just says, you know, ball game. So right. that was fun. That was fun. Um, you know, I, I wanted to come back and, and talk about those 27 assists because, um, and I've seen this, you know, 27 assists, only two from Connor McCaffrey yesterday. A lot of people talk about, you know, the value that he brings to the team is, is, you know, what he does passing the ball. Oh, uh, he did hit a I'm big so three. He, he, you know, he had a nice three at the top of the key. He had two assists. He played 19 minutes. Um, you know, uh, he, he's an important part of the team. I do think Iowa has more, more important pieces. Yeah, dude, they do. Uh, you know, I, I'm just going to be, be very blunt uh, and, you know, hopefully the listeners don't get upset. You know, that we have seen from writers and things like that and, and people as well say how important Connor McCaffrey is. And we've seen it on social media without knowing what is actually so important about him. So without articulating 
what about him makes him so important? Because the advanced statistics show he's not very important. Just, be, you know, that's a fact. Now, are advanced statistics a thousand percent accurate? Uh, you know, in a thousand percent representative? No. But they do matter. They do mean something. Listen, for me, Conor McCaffrey, what he provides is very simple. He provides, uh, you know, yes, he's a leader, and that has a certain value. But for me, I think fans overvalue that a little bit, especially in the sport of basketball. It's not like Luca Garza and Jabo need somebody holding their hand either. Yeah, you know, or even Joe Tassant for that matter. I mean, he literally, as a freshman, led Iowa to twenty victories. So, you know, so I think that gets overblown. But so he, but he does represent what his what Fran wants on the court, what he wants done, probably better than anybody else. He knows exactly what it is that Fran wants and that's good. And he is a good passer at six foot five, six, six. He can pass at certain angles that other Iowa players cannot. And he is also very versatile on the defensive end. He can guard positions one, two, and three, and maybe even sometimes four. Other than that, I think it's far overblown, Paul. I mean, he is only scoring two, two points a game which I don't really care about the points per game as much as like if, if he was creating all these shots and creating all these buckets, then I would say, okay, you know, the two points, that's fine, whatever, who cares? But he's not doing either. So, you know, it's a little, it's a little confusing for me. Um, and uh, yeah, I just think it's overblown. Now, is this me saying that Connor's a bad player? No, it's just me saying that his importance is overblown. That's all. Absolutely. And I hope that that makes sense. It, it does because you know what, what I'm, these aren't even advanced metrics. These are just box score numbers. I look at what Jack Nungy did yesterday in two less minutes. He played 17 minutes, had the same amount of points value when you include points and assists, but Nungy had 10 rebounds. Yep. Yep. Connor McCaffrey and, had one rebound. In yep. Minutes. And he's in the top five for every category, believe it or not. He's in the top five for this Iowa basketball team, which is crazy. And, you know, the that was, I think, the one thing I, I saw yesterday out of this Iowa team, you know, to me, a lot of times, what is good defense, right? What is, what is, what defines good defense to me? What, what really defines good defense is single possession. You know, when in any decent basketball team is going to score a lot of points, if they get two or three chances, every time they have the ball, Iowa got a lot of one, you know, one and outs yesterday. Uh, and a lot of that was because you had Luca, you, you had Luca in there with, with Nunge, uh, Nunji, you know, you get Murray was in there a little bit, you know, he kind of had some foul trouble, but, um, you know, I, Minnesota was missing shots and they weren't getting two or three cracks at it. Right. That right. To me is, that to me is the, is the defensive statistic is, is, you know, 
once you force up the first bad shot or the first shot, don't give them a second or third shot because that second or third shot is going to be the good look. Right. And that's a great point that you bring up because, you know, if, if we're being honest, you know, uh, as, as far as Iowa goes, is it, has it, the entire season, has it been that they're just awful as far as single possession defense? No. Now, has it been the case sometimes? Absolutely. But you go back to Gonzaga, and it was not single. It, at times it was, but for most of the game in their two losses, or yeah, their two losses to Minnesota and, and Gonzaga, the issue was second chance opportunities. And when you play at this level where guys are getting up 2,000 shots a day and they get two, sometimes three cracks at a possess- – those are, those are two – when you get two or three chances, those are separate possessions by themselves. And then the defense, because they've been on their legs for so long, they get even more tired because, you know, they still got to defend for another – 20, 30 seconds, you know, that's why Purdue and Virginia have really hurt teams, Paul, because when they take shots and they get second chance opportunities, it feels like you have defended them forever, but then you have to defend them for another 30 seconds. So mm-hmm. if we really look at Iowa's two losses, the truth is the biggest issue was giving up the second chance opportunities. And had those been cut in half, both games would have been different. I think that's a great observation, Paul. I really do. Do you have the ability to pull up offensive rebounds between yesterday and the first game? Because uh-uh. I, I'm curious. I'm, I'm, I'm almost willing to bet Minnesota had oh, yeah. a ton uh, between, more. Uh, last, last, between this time Iowa played Minnesota and last time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this time here, yeah, but go ahead. Keep talking, Paul, while I bring up the last time they played. I'll be stunned to find out that Minnesota didn't, you know, I mean, because that was that was what I saw was uh, Minnesota had a lot of one-and-done possessions yesterday, um, which doesn't necessarily speak to great defense. Um, it, it, it can, but it can also just mean, look, it, it could be poor shot selection. There's a lot of things that can go into it, but um, – you know, the, to me, uh, you know, o- offensive rebounds and then turnovers, uh, the, the, that's how you define good defense. If a team is committing a lot of turnovers and uh, they they have a low number of offensive rebounds, you've done your job. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree. So going back to the, to the, to the loss and let's, let's remember folks that these numbers are going to be inflated a, a little bit because there was an extra quarter that they played. Okay. So there in the first game, the first time they played against each other, um, wow, the largest lead for Minnesota was 12, and the largest lead for Iowa was eight. That's crazy. Um, the rebounds, offensive rebounds for Iowa 27, defensive rebounds 28 compared to Minnesota's 11 offensive rebounds and 27 defensive rebounds, and the total rebounds was 38 to 55 in favor of Iowa. And then we go to today. 
uh, which that, you know, those numbers actually kind of surprised me. Yeah, that does. Surprise and me. the offensive rebounds for, for so last night, the, yesterday's game, uh, 12, off, 12 offensive rebounds for Minnesota, 24 defensive. And then for Iowa, five offensive and 36 defensive uh, for a total of uh, 41 rebounds to 36 in favor of Iowa, which kind of surprises me. But that does not – here's the difference, though, Paul, is that when, the, when a team is making the second-chance opportunities that they are getting – or even if it's it's much it could be less than it than it actually is or seemed the reason why it seemed to be so much is because they were scoring on their second chance opportunities which it hurts your heart every time they do and you remember every single time they score on the second chance opportunity so it seems very very inflated which here's the reality when they played Minnesota at Minnesota they did give up costly second chance opportunity costly and against Gonzaga that is ill reputed that that fact the second chance points well in that first game in Minnesota uh and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this but I'm thinking that was the game where um Luca Garza and, and the, missed more shots from about a foot away and there was a lot of quote-unquote offensive rebounds where you know they were putting it up, you know, two or three times, you know, uh, from point blank range and couldn't get buckets to go in. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, and Luca Garza was very efficient, by the way, shout out to Luca, who is again, still at the top of Ken Palm's, uh, player of the year rankings, nice. uh, which is crazy. Uh, and by the way, last year, he was number one as well. And the guy who actually won National Player of the Year wasn't even second. It was Devin Dotson of Kansas, folks. Lucas should have won last year, and he should be going for a back-to-back here, plain and simple. That guy is just an absolute terror. Uh, it, yeah. it, it's fun watching the, the chess game that takes place. Um, you know, so Paul, what, what teams are trying to do so to slow him down? NBA guy? So far, what's that? Do you, do you think Luca has shown himself to be an NBA guy that can stick so far, or or do you think it's going to be very hard for him to play in the NBA? You know, I've said oftentimes here that's that's a league I just don't really know anymore. Uh, you know, maybe thirty years ago, uh, you know, he, he would have been. Um, you know, he would have been exactly what would have been, you know, a great. But the NBA is such a, a, a guard dominated game now that, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. And it's very stretched out. Yeah. No, um, I'm going to be honest, folks. I'll I'll answer, you know, my my own question here. Oh, sorry about that. That, <laughs> that was literally my my dryer. That's crazy. But uh Luca Garza, to me, Paul, has shown that he, you know, because he can space the floor, he can shoot the three, he can score at all three levels. He can score at the rim. He can score mid-range. He has the Dirk step back, which, you know, in the NBA, it's about creating space, whether it's athletically 
or whether it's just from skill, you know, creating space for your shot. And Luca Garza is phenomenal at creating space for his shot. And uh, so, yeah, so I think, you know, I've already given the comparison, you know, he just, as long as he can maybe get a little bit better instinctively on, on the defensive end, He'll, he'll be fine in the NBA, and I've given the comparison Brad Miller. He's only an inch shorter than Brad Miller. You know, there's some uh, Frank Kaminsky in him, but Frank was a little skinnier and a little bit more agile. Um, and, uh, and uh, you know, those two players, I would say, uh, is there anybody else that comes to mind for you that we've seen come through college and, and also made it work in the NBA that reminds you of Luca Paul? Ah, you know, there, there was, uh, well, you know, I'm going to sidetrack that question for a moment, just to, to kind of go back to your original question to me and say, I think Luca can have a role on an NBA team. Um, you know, he's one of those guys, and this is what they always talk about, especially during the game broadcast. And that is his effort and energy. Um, so, you know, the thing is, when, whenever I've watched these NBA games, I, I see, you know, Luca's not going to win a lot of foot races up and down the court with those guys. But, right. um, but he's so <laughs> skilled with the ball in his hand, um, you know, inside, outside. Uh, yeah, he's, he's got... Uh, he's got incredible footwork for and and that I think is only going to improve. So, yeah, you know, would he start on most NBA teams? Probably not. Is there a role for him? Uh, I think so. Yeah, absolutely. And, And the other thing, you know, talking about effort, you know, it's funny because in the NBA, if just more players were to, would see this, a.k.a. Tyler Cook, you know, they would carve out a role, you know, because if you can just be a Montrez Harrell type, you know, and, and just work hard uh, and, and, and get buckets that aren't drawn up for you, which Luca Garza is very capable of doing, by the way, uh, you know, you can carve out a role for yourself in the NBA fairly quickly, you know? So, so yeah, but anyways, yeah, go ahead, Paul. Sorry. No, no. You know, the, the thing is too, he, he, he's going to, there, there, there just isn't, uh, there, there just isn't a tree to pull six, 10, six, 11 guys that, that can shoot the three that can, uh, you know, that, that have the footwork that he does, that has the, the drive that he does. You know, th- those guys, there's a very few select people in the world that yeah. are his size and can do what he does. And because of that, um, you know, I, I, I think that he, you know, that his NFL or NFL, his NBA prospects um, are, are maybe a little bit better than, than even some people uh, are giving him credit for. A thousand percent agree, buddy, on every single point you just made. Agree, agreed, agreed. So, uh, so we're about 30 minutes in. Do you uh, do you want to do a plug? Yeah, let's let's do a plug real quick. Uh, first and foremost, uh, go to 247hawkeye.com, ladies and gentlemen, where we have a phenomenal article out right now uh, done on Spencer Petrus and, hit, you know, re- hit really how he did this year. 
uh, the true stats behind his season. Uh, and, you know, compared to Nate Stanley, Graham Mertz of Wisconsin, things like that. Phenomenal article. And then also, you know, just give us that smash that follow button on Parlor and Twitter at 247 Hawkeye. Uh, but uh, if we if you think we've earned it and then also just like comment and share the podcast or any of our content. All right. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you uh, you actually brought up that Peter story because, uh, you know, I did want to talk about it a little bit because they, you know, one, I, I had a lot of uh, I had a little bit of fun putting it together. I was somewhat surprised by it, even myself, um, just because of, of the uh, some of the the information that I uncovered. Yes. It was a huge article, Paul. I'll just be honest and forthright about it. It was massive. So, you know, uh, certainly you go back to those first two games uh, of the season there, and you know, and, and and just like I put in 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 the story itself, is after those two games, the Barbarians were at the gate. They were they didn't want Spencer on the bench. They wanted him back. You know, shipped back to California. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah. Uh, that you know, through two games, Hawkeye fans had seen enough. Um, and that was that, that, yeah, and, and credit us here at 247 Hawkeye the entire time, the entire off season leading up to it, um, leading up to, to the season starting as the season progressed, especially you, you kept hammering away and saying you can't judge Spencer Petrus on two football games, yeah. and you can't, um, you can't look at you know, this small of a body of work and say that this guy can't get better because we saw that all through, through those eight games, we, we saw a definite progression. And I made this point before and I didn't make it in this particular story, but I've made it on our podcast and I probably other things that we've written by the time the season ended, it was not a quarterback friendly environment that, uh, that Spencer was playing. Um, you know, uh, it's not just the non-conference games that, that these guys get, but it, weather definitely plays a factor. It is much easier to complete passes and put up numbers in September than it is in mid to late December uh, in Big Ten country. That's a phenomenal point. You know, when he was balling, it was the toughest time of year to really shine, and he was, and he was shining, plain and simple. You know, here's the deal. Um, you know, I have a few questions for you, you know, in the back of my mind, because, you know, you did the numbers on this and, and you wrote this. But mm-hmm. for me, what happened, which was very simple, was you had a combination of Graham Mertz having yes. a career game, which was very unfortunate uh, for Spencer because that – you know, the bottom line is Iowa and Wisconsin – you know, Iowa doesn't look at Iowa State. Uh, Iowa doesn't look at Northwestern or anything like that. Wisconsin and Iowa look at each other. That, those are the two schools that, that compare themselves to each other, and rightfully so. I mean, they've been tops of the Big Ten. You know, Northwestern, I think, gets the, the proper amount of respect. You know, some people say that they're – disrespected i don't think so i get the i think they get the proper amount which is they are a good program uh you know and they i think they've sneakily got into the big 10 
championship, but you know, it's not like Iowa or Wisconsin. Rarely are they going to pull what Northwestern did last year with a four win season. You know, that, that, that seldom happens for where I was at nowadays, but anyways, I digress. So Graham Mertz having a record game, his first game against a big 10 opponent. And so everybody just absolutely ran with that. You know, the fact that it was a big 10 opponent, the fact that, you know, it was Wisconsin, the fact that Wisconsin's a running team. And, and can you think about what Wisconsin can do if they have a quarterback like this and they, and they are a running team. I mean, it's crazy, you know, just all these things, people getting ahead of themselves. Uh, and then meanwhile, Spencer has very, I wouldn't say pedestrian numbers, just numbers that showed the team and himself, they were struggling, in my opinion, to finish drives. You know, it was very simple. It, it wasn't anything big. It wasn't like they were struggling to move the football or anything like that. They were struggling to finish drives with touchdowns. And for Spencer, you know, touchdown passes. And we look at the season as a whole, and we look at Graham versus Spencer when they played against each other, and Spencer looked a thousand percent better than Graham. And it's not like the the defense that, that Spencer played against, uh, you know, for Wisconsin was was shoddy, Paul. I mean, it was the real deal. You and me both know that. And so I just think the narrative was set far too early. And, you know, I was ready to leave it. And this is the last thing I'll say, and I'll let you, and then I'm going to, I have a few questions for you, buddy. Is, you know, the, the, you know, I was losing faith myself. You actually, I'll be honest. I never really lost faith because I, I knew what I saw with my eyes. I knew the NFL throws that Spencer was making. You know, I looked at the Big Ten, and I didn't see any quarterback capable of making those throws, plain and simple. So I never really lost mm-hmm. faith, but I, I lost – I was second-guessing myself. And then Paul, you know, came on and brought up a great uh, – you know, just a great statement that he made, which was, you know, we have no idea – how the route tree is going because we only see 10 yards. If that, you know, we, there's nobody showing, you know, film on Spencer and going super in depth to it. And so we don't know if the wide receivers are truly getting playing as well as, as, as uh, we hype them up. And that's another thing. So points two and three, Spencer was hyped up. And the wide receivers were hyped up. You know, Spencer, the, the golden boy with the golden arm who broke a, a franchise quarterback's records in high school. And then on top of that, you know, Paul, uh, you know, the wide receivers he has, just phenomenal weapons. Well, here's the deal. If we really think about it, Amir Smith-Marset and Brandon Smith, yeah, they, they had some decent production numbers, but if they make it to the NFL – they're making it more off of their physical attributes than what we've actually seen on the field. That's just the reality, folks. Reality. 
you know, Smith-Marset maybe, you know, uh, his kick return and his playmaking ability and Brandon Smith, his high point, you know, so maybe those are examples of on-the-field stuff. But outside of that, I mean, if we're being honest, the, the production has not been phenomenal. So Paul brought up that great point to me, and after he did that, you know, I was with Spencer, and I, and I finally just said, I will not judge this kid until the end of the season when we've seen all his games and we can look at all his numbers. And uh, looks like we made the right decision, Paul. So my question is to you, buddy. I know yeah. I said a lot there, but I know you, you know, I'm just setting up a visual picture for our, for our listeners. And I know you agree with, with, mo, with, I mean, is there anything you disagree with what I just said there real quick? Absolutely not. All right. So my question for you, when doing the article, what was your biggest surprise or takeaway? What, what, you know, one of the two surprise, takeaway, anything. All right. Um, so, you know, my, my biggest takeaway here really and truly came down to, um, you know, we, we have to be careful with narratives, right? Uh, not, not necessarily us, but in general, fans, media, the, the whole deal, because, you know, we, we were coming into the season, you know, before, you know, before it was the second or third schedule, the idea was Spencer just needs to be average. If he can just be average, then Iowa has a chance to win the West. They have a chance to compete for the Big Ten title because the team around him is just so good that all, he doesn't have to be great. He just has to be average. That that got repeated more times than than you know than it, right. than than any other mantra in the offseason. So then we come kind of inaccurate to be honest. What's that? It kind of turned out to be inaccurate. I mean, you know, he spent. Right just have to be average and kind of had to be above average to win those football games a little bit. I mean, to, in certain regards, not every regard, but certain regards. Well, and, and, you know, to, to an extent, I think when people were saying, well, as long as he's just average, the thing was nobody ever really defined what average Phenomenal was. point. But what is Phenomenal. just average, right? Does that so mean game say, manager? Well, we, does that you know, mean, you know, does that mean like the the Bears in 2000-whatever with, uh, you know, does it mean Mitch Trubisky? I mean, what are we talking here, average? What are we talking, folks? Yeah, that's a great point, Paul. Right. And, and so what, what I think it really came down to, because this was what I was seeing on social media and and and, and, and through media stories and whatever else was that he was really just being compared to where Nate Stanley left off as a three-year starter. And they were saying, well, that was average quarterback play. That's what they really, you know, that if you read between those lines and, and you really, okay, well in your head, you've got this picture of what Nate Stanley, you know, the, the team had come off their, their, their big bowl win against Southern California in Southern California. Um, that you know, here we are. We're thinking we've got a, a you know a, a a really good running back room, like you mentioned, great wide receivers. Uh, we've got a, a, a young and upcoming tight end. That this offense doesn't need. They don't need you know Tom Brady. They just need a quarterback that can you know, get them the football more often than not. 
Okay, well, guess what? He did that. And he did it better than, than Nate Stanley did it through his first eight. So, time. yeah, that that was something that you told me, which, uh, you know, looking back at it, it makes sense. Uh, the reality is Nate Stanley's first eight games were very, very, very pedestrian. And if we're being honest, what the coaches asked Nate Stanley to do, what they asked of him, in his first eight games, was very was not. Let's not. It was not average. It was it was low. You know, because he was a first year starting quarterback, and they asked very little of him, Paul, compared to what they asked of Spencer. His first, yeah. not just two games. You know, eight games. The the whole thing. I mean, he threw 50 passes against Northwestern. That's how good they thought, they think, not thought, think Spencer Petras is. That's right. right. It was a 17-0 lead in the first quarter and continued to, to throw the football. And, uh, you know, by, by the way, so Northwestern played nine football games this year. They played uh, eight eight total conference games, including the, the big 10 championship game. And then they had their bowl game. Um, and I, I you know, I, I, I took a look at this because I, I really wanted to, to see. So Iowa's 20 points against that Northwestern defense. Um, the only other teams to score more were uh, Ohio state scored 22. They had a meltdown loss against Michigan state where they scored 29 and that was it. Uh, nobody else scored more than 20. Yeah, when you brought that up to me, uh, that was one of the best stats that I had heard. You know, uh, the, the bottom line is Iowa had it. Every every metric you want to use, you know, whether it's the metric of how Iowa did against good defenses, whether it's just how Iowa did across eight games, whatever you want to use, Iowa offensively did phenomenal, way better than what, you know, Nate Stanley did in his first eight games. I mean, Iowa was winning football games like 14 to six, Paul, in in Nate Stanley's first eight games. You know, folks, forget that. Now, now, granted, uh, Nate Stanley, uh, you know, the, uh, only had and, – and this is not putting down Nick Easley or Matt Vandenberg that they're not good players because they are. But, yes, Nate Stanley did not have Tyler Goodson. He did not have Amir Smith, Marcet, or Brandon Smith. Uh, now he did have two NFL tight ends. I mean, we cannot forget that. So, but uh, I don't think the all around, uh, the, the, I would say overall, the all around talent was not as good, but I think it's comparable. You know, I, the point that I was making to folks is, is that what Nate Stanley had is comparable to like when I'm comparing him to like an Alabama quarterback, you know, or something like that. It makes Nate Stanley look way better because Iowa did not have anywhere near those kind of players. However, comparing Apple's well, – go ahead. Yeah, now. go ahead, wait Paul. Wait a minute now. Hold on. Well, so, so Nate Stanley played with three future first-round players on, on that offense uh, at, at minimum because uh, Tristan Wirfs, Hawkinson, yeah, no, that's all first-round yeah. picks. So he had three – 
first round NFL picks, you know, uh, that he played with. And, and I also want to uh, just point out too, that when we're talking about eight games uh, for Stanley or anybody, these are their first eight conference starts because I definitely yes. wanted to, to do apples to apples. Um, we didn't include numbers from, um, non-conference games against Miami of Ohio or things like that um, because I, I, I didn't want those numbers skewed. I, I, and by the way, that's actually an advantage yeah, huge for advantage. Nate Stanley. Huge or, advantage. Or, in both ways are advantages in my opinion because Nate Stanley had warm-ups for his first two Big Ten games. Nate uh, uh, Spencer Petras did not. So either way, it's an advantage for Nate Stanley. Correct. You know, whether it's the warm-up, you know, including the, the, the non-conference games or not including, in my opinion, it is an advantage for him. But, Paul, you're absolutely right. And, and yes, you're right. Anyway. But uh, it, when Nate Stanley was quarterback, Iowa had, uh, you know, its fair share of guys on the offense that, you know, two first-round tight ends, a first-round right tackle. But – uh, you know, I, the only thing I've compared is if, it, you know, when looking at Nate Stanley and his body of work is that, you know, he didn't have, you know, track meet star, you know, track stars, you know, like USC to throw to or in Alabama, you know, to stretch the field or Ohio State to, you know, to where, where like the guy is open by, uh, uh, you know, 10 miles. However, when comparing, uh, when comparing Iowa quarterback to Iowa quarterback, the roster is pretty similar, pretty similar. So that's all. That's all. I, you know, it's it's pretty apples to apples to me. You know, Spencer had better receivers, but not as polished tight ends. Uh, and the offensive lines were pretty much equal, in my opinion. So, and, you know, Spencer maybe had a little bit better running back. But even then, you know, uh, Akron Wadley was pretty dang good. Pretty dang good. Pretty good. So my last question for you, Paul. Here's my last question for you for on this on this piece. If the, so, what is your your biggest takeaway about Spencer? Uh, you know, it, you know. Overall, do you see him as a top five returning quarterback in the Big Ten? You know, uh, you know, capable of making a ma- having a massive season next year. You know, what is your takeaway from the numbers that w- that we saw? I think if there's a quarterback in the Big Ten that could have a bigger jump, I don't think there's a, a quarterback in the Big Ten who can make a bigger jump from that that year one to year two that they talk about players making. Um, I really feel like we saw the light coming on for him at the end of at, at the end of the season. Um, you know that second half against Wisconsin, the second half against uh, Illinois. You know, we, we've we started to see what the coaches were seeing. You know, we've we started seeing the best of Spencer Petras in in the in the worst of times in in in, in the the when the weather said you're not supposed to be able to throw the ball uh, deep because it's 30 mile an hour winds and it's it's 30 degrees, uh, you know when we're talking wind chills in the teams, these are if you looked around the conference, other teams were having similar struggles uh, later in the season because these guys, you know, they're not used to playing that late into the year. And so uh, my my point here is that uh, from what I saw numbers wise, 
not only is he is he further along at this stage than than other quarterbacks, um, he, he's right where you know I think he ought to be. 